0: Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. If I haven't had the opportunity to welcome you this morning, welcome. I am glad to be with you today. Um, I uh, wanted to start by um, just saying, if you haven't uh, already heard, we're in the middle of a message series entitled, This Is Us, the um, awkward... The, Title slide was right before it. I was going to read that off of that. Um, inescapable awkwardness and importance of community, is what it's called. And the truth is, so I was out last week. I was at, I was in Chaska, Minnesota, at something called Assessment Center. And there are eleven potential church planters, uh, church plants that are going to happen across the United States. And there's twenty-one people who were there, and we were assessing them on their desire and their call to plant churches in the United States through the, de- uh, the denomination we are part of, which is the Evangelical Covenant Church. And it was really cool to see how God has called and uniquely gifted all of these different people. Um, There were uh, husband and wife teams and one solo pastor who was coming into this. And um, one thing that I took away and was reminded of uh, while I was there and talking with all the different expressions that the church is going to uh, reveal herself in is um, really church people are kind of weird. and if you've been a part of church for a really long time, I think possibly you don't realize like the weird things you do. Um, I had a great opportunity to get to know this couple from Colorado. And uh, they're kind of coming from outside of the church, feeling a call. And they they said, we just really need to help plant a church that isn't so weird. And I said, you got to say more about that. And she said, we just say things and do things that are just really awkward for people who aren't a part of the church. And while a part of you, you might hear that and and you might feel defensive, like, what do you mean weird? Um, I think it's good that were kind of weird. Um, I think that the church has been called to be different than the world. We're actually called to do things weird. It is weird to offer uh, your coat to someone who doesn't have a coat, The world tells us that we don't have to uh, look out for others. you got to look out for number one. And when you're a part of a church, we say, no, 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 look out for other people other than yourself. So I don't know about you, but I'm actually kind of proud of being a little weird. Um, We are called to be strangers and aliens of this world. When you claim the name Jesus, you live in a dual citizenship right? You live in the kingdom of God, but also in this world. And we are called not just to live for ourselves when we are part of the kingdom of God, we are called to live for who? Who? Right? We live for Jesus. And how do we do that? By? Huh? Toss it out there. How do we live for Jesus? We serve others. Jesus said, the greatest commandment I give you, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? So that is countercultural. So I I wanted to take a minute and, and talk about the reality of the culture that we live in. Not the church culture that we are striving to be a part of, not what it means to be children of God, but the culture that we are called to walk in and be a light in. And so I want to sort of uh, highlight a couple of things. The reality of the culture in the world today is that it is a, school, a culture of scarcity, of not enough. Uh, you are told everywhere you turn that you are not enough. Industries are built on this. You are not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good-looking enough. You're not powerful enough, Right? You don't have enough education. Your house isn't big enough. You need a bigger house. Your car isn't fast enough. You need a faster car. Your kids aren't talented enough. Better put them in more activities. Everywhere we turn, we are told over and over again the lie that we are not enough. And there's no discrimination, whether you are a Christ follower or you have not yet decided or discovered how much God wants you in a part of His family, no matter where you stand on that. We are in the same. We're swimming in the same pot, right? Not enough. And so, then, what do we do? We react, right? We react by over-functioning. We react by overdoing it, by overspending, by over um, overeating, by numbing our emotions. We carry shame for who we are, for not being enough. We compare. Our lives, other people. Oh my gosh! A couple Sundays ago, so I'm gonna get some a little vulnerable today up here. So just warn you. A couple Sundays ago, I uh, my alarm went off, and I think you might be able to relate to this. Um, I grabbed my phone because my alarm's my phone. It's probably not a good idea, but it is. And the first thing I did was I opened up Facebook. It's like, hey, good morning, world. Let's look at Facebook because that always ends well. Um, and. Um, <laughs> The first story that was in my newsfeed was a woman in my in my neighborhood, and her caption was, "I love lazy lake Sundays," and she had pictures of her or lazy lake weekends, pictures of her kids on boats and skiing, and and um, my first thought was like, "I hate her," <sighs> like I want a lazy lake weekend. And then I just went through all of the things on why I couldn't have a lazy, like, weekend, and I felt kind of bitter, and really not to her, but just to the reality of just, I was totally over-functioning at that, in that moment. And I came here. <laughs> I came here, and I helped lead worship. And the whole time I'm going, "Get, the, get Amber, relax. <laughs> like, this is where you need to be. And God, as God always does, meets us in those moments, if we allow it, allow him in, and I just said, oh, dear Lord, you know, help me not open up Facebook on, right when I wake up. So I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but we do, right? I mean, we, we the reality is we're, we, we're told we're not enough, that we're not impressive enough. Somehow ordinary life isn't good enough. We need to be extraordinary. You know, we need enough likes on our Facebook and followers and retweets and you know, all that. So streaks. I don't do Snapchat, but anyway, um, And then we overcompensate, and really the remedy for this, the way that we're going to get out of this cycle that we're in, is that we have to change the culture we are part of. We have to be the ones to change the culture. There was a quote by a lady named Mary Pfeiffer. She wrote a book called Reviving Ophelia, and she said this. She said, social change is a million individual acts of kindness, but culture change is a million subversive acts of resistance. I love that. A million acts, subversive acts of resistance. How do we change this world we're a part of that affects us deep in our souls, that we are not enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not lovable? And it's a million subversive acts of resistance. And here's the great news. We don't have to come up with how to do that because it was modeled for us. The church, Jesus, modeled what it means for us to do this, to to live in the world, but live again, to resist the ways of the world. Hebrews 12 is one of my life verses that I go to often. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So the lies, the things that tell us that we're not enough, we can't do this. And it says, let us throw it down and run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who already did this, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, So he's running the race. He's created it. He's seen before him there will be joy. But in order to get there, what does it say he does? It said he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. Consider that so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have the model and the story of Jesus, of what it meant, what he did for us in order so that we can do this, so we can model acts of resistance. But what I found curious and what I was really excited to read to, uh, this weekend as I was preparing for this, that beginning verse says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, Jesus um, modeled this, but other people showed us what it is like to live like this. So when you wonder what a verse in Scripture is, what it says, therefore, if you want to know what it's there for, you have to read before. So back in, um, in Hebrews 11, I'm just going to read this to you. I didn't put it up on the screen, but um, the million subversive acts of resistance. Let's see what our great cloud of witnesses did. It says, uh, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, what was it, Jephthah? Anyway, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better. For us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, so that together, us, we then will get to see the joy that Jesus offers and provides by this life. So this is, this is the hope we have as the church. We are not alone in this. And part of the awkwardness of community is that it requires us to be fully human. And to be fully human requires something that we call vulnerability. I did some research. I've Well, I've, any of you have listened to or followed Brene Brown? Can I you raise your hand at all? Let's just kind of get an idea of anyone who knows who Brene Brown is. Um, she is a shame researcher and has been researching this for over a decade now. She gave a TED Talk on the power of vulnerability back in 2010, I believe, and it went viral. Um, but I was listening to a book that she wrote called The Power of Vulnerability, and if you are interested in learning more, I highly recommend uh, looking into that. But she has a lot of of. Very interesting a lot of research she's done on what vulnerability means and how it affects us as human beings and our relationships with other people. And we've seen it modeled through Jesus, the power of his vulnerability, the power of what it looks like when someone offers themselves in a vulnerable way for the sake of other people. And that's what we're called to, and it's awkward and it's weird, but we're gonna talk about it today for the last few minutes before we leave. So one thing that we know as we, as we look through scripture and we read about um, how we were created and why we, we were created, one thing that I know about each and every one of you to be true, and we share this in common, that we are all created with a desire to love and belong. Deep inside of us, we have a desire and a need to love, to be loved, and to belong. It's a part of our vision statement. John talked about that earlier. And there is a barrier, there are barriers that keep us from feeling love, being loved, and belonging. And the number one barrier to love and belonging is this this word, shame. And shame is basically, uh, it has to do with, I'm I'm ashamed of who I am, my being as a person, shame. Sometimes we use guilt and shame together. Guilt is when you feel bad for something you do. Shame is when you feel bad for someone you are. And so shame is the number one barrier that keeps us from, um, from fully experiencing love and belonging. And the way that we combat shame and the way we get past that is through vulnerability. So when I say the word to be vulnerable, can you tell me what word or words come to mind when you hear that? Just shout it out. It's okay, say it. Expose your flaws. What else? Injury. What else? Honesty. What else? Risk of rejection. Yeah. Does it do it? Oh, I got the little thingy. Thank you. Oh, oh. oh. Sorry. I know. It's, it's okay. I'm helping you out. <laughs> I just licked you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, babe. Appreciate you. Okay, so any other words that come to mind? You think vulnerability? Openness? Say that? Letting others in? Risk? Yeah, no, huh? Strength and pain? Yeah. Oftentimes, the word weakness will be associated with vulnerability. Showing our weakness. Um, in, in some of the research that Brene Brown did, she said uh, vulnerability um, is, she opened it up, and here are just some of the responses she got back, and we're just going to read through them real quickly. Um, vulnerability is sharing an a popular opinion for standing up for myself, asking for help, saying no, starting my own business, helping, with my, helping my 37-year-old wife with stage 4 breast cancer make decisions about her will. Calling a friend whose child just died, signing up my mom for hospice care, the first date after my divorce, saying I love you first, risking a thank you in return. I just added that one. Did you get that? Uh, Getting fired, getting pregnant after three miscarriages, waiting for a biopsy to come back, reaching out to my son who's going through a difficult divorce, admitting I'm afraid being accountable, asking for forgiveness, having faith. Vulnerability in this church is someone saying, I will host a small group, and then they open up their home for someone to show up. Vulnerability is standing up here behind a microphone using your voice to sing and lead in worship or playing drums or the bass guitar Vulnerability is stepping out in faith and saying, yes, I will help to prepare a hot potato bar and offer my gift of service and food. You know, vulnerability is inviting someone and risking them saying no to church to be a part of our community. Brown says that vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable but they're never weakness. So what is it that stands in the way of us being vulnerable? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't have any problems with vulnerability. I don't have any problems letting myself be known. But there is a common theme, the one thing that stands in the way of us being truly vulnerable, and that's shame. And in order to combat that, we need to know what it is. What triggers that in us? What are the shame triggers inside each and every one of us? For women, I'll give you a guess. What is kind of the universal number one shame trigger for women? Our bodies, our, bodies, our appearance. And it has been that since like the beginning of time. Um, what about for men? Strength, right? To be perceived as weak. These are shame triggers. So like when we think of offering ourselves or being true to ourselves, to think about what is is holding us back, what is it about that that makes it hard for us to identify maybe in ourselves? Is it triggering something in us that is at a deep root of that? But love and belonging are the two primary needs of, of human beings, and it's the two hardest things for us to kind of break through. But I know people who have fully embraced and understand love and what God has called us to, is that to understand love is to understand that we have to love God and our neighbor as we love ourselves. Self-love. How well do you love yourself? How good are you at looking in the mirror and saying, I'm enough? And I know I'm enough because I'm a child of God. I am God's masterpiece created for good works, Ephesians 2. So people who are able to fully recognize and understand that they are lovable and worthy of love are then able to offer that in return. But as well as we love ourselves, that is as well as we can love other people. So what is in the way, if something is standing in the way of your self-love, maybe it's that you don't quite fully understand or accept that God has created you and you are enough. The reality that the world tells you you're not enough, that's not true. And then this belonging piece, like, what is the main barrier to belonging? And research shows, and as we've looked into it, the main barrier to belonging is that we try to fit in rather than belong. How many of you can think of a time where you walked into a group or a situation where you just desperately wanted to fit in? Really? Anyone? 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 Okay. Now, you might think, what's the problem with fitting in? Like, why wouldn't I want to fit in? Well, the danger with fitting in versus belonging is that when we fit in, we make modifications to ourselves. True belonging happens when we are fully when we are we present our authentic vulnerable selves to a group of people. But when we walk into a space and we say, my goal here is to fit in, then a couple things can happen. Brene Brown talks about coming up with uh, mantras. Like when you walk into a space, she says, come up with some vulnerability mantras. So she says, walk in, tell yourself, don't shrink, don't puff up, stand your sacred ground. Then she says, let yourself be seen. So I was thinking about that. So don't shrink, meaning, you know, you're a middle school student, you're a high school student. Um, Shrinking would be, like, finding a group that you want to fit in with, and then you just, like, you're a parrot. You, like, just say you like the same things they like, you listen to the same music. Whether you like the music or not, um, you you just, you agree just to be agreeable so that you can feel like you fit in. But you haven't really presented your full self. And then puffing up is just trying to be maybe more than you really are to make yourself look better or feel better. But another way that we use this puffing up is that we, um, I call it like the vulnerability vomit, like where you walk into a space and then you just like let it all hang out and, and then you use it to say, well, listen, it was too much for this group, but see, they don't accept me anyway. I don't, I don't fit in because they're, they're not gonna welcome me because look, I shared all of this stuff and now they're all running. But oftentimes we puff up as a way to protect ourselves from letting people in in risking getting hurt or rejected. And I can speak from a place of experience because I've done this. Um, I've done, I mean, I've done it, I'm sure, multiple times. But one time came to mind that I wanted to share, and I've never really thought about it until over this last week. Um, what a significant experience it was for me. I um, So I got invited by a group of, uh, Christians, to um, well, they were people that we knew who I knew went to church. I didn't really know them very well, but we were invited to go to the holiday regal, the holiday event that's like in- at Interest or Century Two. You know like there's a big holiday thing and you buy like wrapping paper and bows and stuff and gifts. Anyway, I got invited to go with this group and I was brand new to town and I was really looking forward to maybe making some new friends. But I had just gotten out of year, about five years of living in like this really crazy, like authentic Acts to community where like we shared a bank account and like all of our, we shared everything and like I didn't have like extra money to spend on wrapping paper and bows. And and so I was kind of conditioned to not spend money and we walk into this into this space, and I mean, it is just like everything you could possibly imagine, and I was just totally overwhelmed, and I remember walking around it going, like, I was in this total, just like, spiral, like, oh my gosh, all this money, all these people who could be fed, like, there are starving children in Africa, and we're buying bows, and I was just in this, like, all this spiral, and, and anyway, so we go to, we go to dinner, and, um, and this, mind you, this is a great group of people, and um, so we sat down. I didn't follow this mantra at all. Um, shrink. If I would have shrunk in that situation, and they said, "Oh, how was your time today?" If my shrinking self would have said, "Oh, it was really great. I got bows and, and wrapping paper was awesome, and yes, I loved every minute of it." Right? Um, but I didn't shrink. Um, I'm embarrassed to say that I went the other way. Total puffed up. Total puffed up. All of these this, I just vomited vulnerability all over the table. They don't even know me. And I'm just going, all oh, the money we've just spent, and are we crazy? I mean, there's, it's the holidays, and we could be like buying presents for people in Africa. And I just like, I was just out of my mind. And I, it was so awkward and weird, and it wasn't because of them. It was because of me. And I used that moment in time as an excuse. And I left that space, and I was like, see, they don't, you know, they're not real Christ followers. They're not, you know, all, whatever the spiraling story I told myself was. But in order to not, not hurt, not, not get hurt, I totally puffed up. I totally um, protected myself in a way that was damaging to community. Um, thank goodness we've worked on that, those friendships. And, but, but my desire there was to, to um, protect myself, not to create authentic community. And they were trying, and I wasn't. And I tell that story because how many times can you think of a, when you've walked into a space, and it happens a lot in churches, and I've been leading in the local church for about 16 years now, and I can't tell you how many times where people have said, Well, I came in and they just didn't accept me for who I am, and then people leave. Or people come into a church and they don't even offer themselves at all. They sit quiet, waiting for other people to make the first move, and not being open and vulnerable for just being seen. Like, let yourself be seen. What would it take for us to offer our authentic, true true selves? Walk in this building and say, I am not going to shrink. I'm not going to puff up. I'm going to stand my sacred ground. I'm going to let myself be seen. What would you have to do in your own heart and soul in order to truly do that and connect in a way where the belonging part of your soul would be met in the church? A couple things I want us to think about as we leave here this week. And, And for just a minute, I'd like you to close your eyes. And I want you to take stock for just a second of two things. I want you to think right now of the spaces that God has put you. Where are you in your life? You have your home. I want you to imagine your home. I want you to imagine where you go to school or where you go to work. And I want you to imagine this space right here. And now I want you to, with your eyes closed still, I want you to think of the people that God has placed in your life. And I want you to start in your home with maybe a spouse or a roommate or your kids. I want you to think about the people that you sit next to at school or the lunch table or your classes I want you to think about the people that you work with. Who are the people in your life? Where are the opportunities where you can step in and take a risk in offering yourself to meet that need? You can open your eyes. I also want you to think, um, who are your safe people? Who do you have where you could actually do a vulnerability vomit with, who they know your heart and trust you, and you work through this kind of stuff together. Because not everybody is ready for everything that you're going through. In fact, that's not the safest way to approach it. Vulnerability takes risk, but it also takes some boundaries as well. So defining the safe people that God has already placed in your life. And then I would ask you to take one bold step this week. What is one way that you could risk being vulnerable with someone in your life? Is there someone that God has placed on your heart and in your life who you, are just, who you just know it is time to pick up the phone and say, hey, let's go grab coffee. Let's go to lunch. And by the way, it might, take, it might mean that you are going to be the first one to move. Maybe there's a broken relationship that just needs some repair, and it's going to take you offering that grace first. Huge act of vulnerability. So the realities of all of this, so that's this week. That's your, that's your charge this week. In the realities of this world that we're living in as, as, as foreigners, in, in this land, as dual citizenship in the kingdom and in the culture that we're in. The reality that we live in is a scarcity and we're not enough. But the new reality in Christ is that you are already enough. That there's nothing you can do that will, God, that will make you any more worthy than you are now of God's love. And so understanding and accepting that today. And then in the culture, the reactions is that we, we respond with shame or comparison or we overdo it. But the new reaction is, is vulnerability, is that we're not going to do that. We're going to combat that, and we're going to offer our true, authentic selves. And Jesus is the remedy for this. The church, this place, it's the remedy for this. And if you are sitting here today, and you've never fully offered yourself to Jesus, and it takes a lot to say, okay, here is my heart, Lord. Here's my life. I, I can't do it. I don't feel enough. I need, I need you. Jesus paid the price and did it for you. I pray that you know that. I pray that you open up your heart for those around you so that others can pour into you and speak those words of truth as well. And together, in this place, we can truly be a place where people can come to be known and belong and then learn how to be loved. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the author and the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you for pouring out your love for us. Thank you for all of the ways in which you have shown us how to live and how to love in this world. Lord, we don't get it right all the time, uh, God, but we we know that we need you and we know that we need each other, no matter how messy or awkward or weird it may be. And so God, as we are in this space today and, and feeling the need to Uh, give it to you. As we think about who you've called us to love in our lives, who you've called us to open up our lives to, pray that you bring to mind people. Pray that you open up opportunities for us to enter into, to walk into situations. Give us the courage and the strength to set down our pride, to be vulnerable. Lord, thank you that we have a space where we can be here and learn and practice what it means to follow you. Lord, you know as when when we're called here, we're called to follow you. We're called to worship you with our lives. You also ask us to, to trust you in all things. Trust you with our families, with our hearts, with our finances, with our time. Lord, as we worship you in all of these things and all of these ways, we just continue to ask for your blessings poured out on our lives and the lives of this church and this community. We love you and we honor you.